Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to our online worship service. I'm going to talk to you today about the man of lawlessness, the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So let's go ahead and dig in, okay? I'm going to read to you 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and the man of lawlessness is also what we popularly call the Antichrist. I'm not sure why that name has stuck, because in 1 John, it talks about the spirit of Antichrist and how many Antichrists have already gone out into the world in John's day. And But we call this man of lawlessness, the book of Revelation calls him the beast. He has a lot of titles. I'm going to give you some of the titles. Um, I prefer Paul's title, the man of lawlessness. So let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So 2 Thessalonians 2. I'm going to read you the whole chapter. So let's read it. <clears throat> Paul writes this. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or by a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time." For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a, so a strong delusion, not a song delusion, a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Now I'm at verse 13, still in chapter 2. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So there is a lot of information in that chapter. In fact, there's so much information in that chapter you could really do a series of different items within that chapter that point toward the end time scenario that happens. Now, the, the background of this is that the Thessalonians were, 
I think the second or third church that Paul planted in Europe. So they're they're over in Greece, and the Book of Acts gives us gives us details about the Thessalonians, and he gave them early on discipleship and training in the Scriptures, and then he was uh, rushed out of town. Uh, eventually made his way to Athens and and so on and so forth, and so he corresponded and wrote two letters to the Thessalonians, and apparently he had spoken with them in depth during his initial time with them, a very short time, about the return of the Lord Jesus. And he gives us hints here that we love. I mean, we would love it if if there wasn't an assumption of content that he already told them a couple things. He, he says to him here in this passage that, Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Well, we don't know what he told them. But he says that uh, the the entity, whatever it is, that is currently inhibiting the this last world ruler from being there. Something's inhibiting it right now. And he says that that thing or that person will be taken out of the way in verse 7. And we don't know what it is because he says here that he's basically assuming that they know. He says in verse 6, you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. So there's a restraining force that is currently restraining the last world ruler, the man of lawlessness. Now, did you catch how many times the word lawless was used in that uh, passage there? Lawlessness is a synonym for sin. Uh, sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness is sin. And in fact, one of the scriptural definitions of sin is lawlessness. And I believe that is in First First uh, John. I don't know if I want to take the time to hunt it down here. But there's three different definitions for sin in the, in the Bible. And one of them in James chapter 4, I believe it is, is that it's it's anything that we know we should do, but we don't do. That, in other words, we can commit sins of, of not doing the things that we should do. And that is uh, James chapter 4, verse 17, where James says this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. And then one of the other um, definitions of sin that I already referenced there to you is in 1 John 3, verse 4, where... Uh, the last part of the verse says that sin is lawlessness. So some translations of the Bible don't call him the man of lawlessness. It calls him the man of sin. So you might be reading a different translation and see that this person is called the man of sin. Um, it also says here that he is the son of destruction. Some translations of the Bible say that he's the son of perdition. Okay, so son of perdition, son of destruction. What does this tell us? Okay. I might have went into the weeds there. What this tells us is that this guy is sin. This guy is lawless. He is a law unto himself. Uh, what that is, is a dictator. We in America presently, and for 240 some years, the American idea, and it's a biblical idea, it's the idea with which uh, God founded Israel, 
with the Ten Commandments and, and Moses as the leader, is that you would have a nation ruled by law. Now, Israel is a little different because God gave them the law directly. And we, American laws, based on the Ten Commandments, and we certainly have problems over the development of American history. But if you're not ruled by law, if you're not ruled by God, then it's lawlessness. It's sin. Right is wrong and wrong is right. And as the end times approach, lawlessness is one of the marks of the arrival of the end. Now, all throughout human history, people have been struggling with sin and lawlessness. But in this passage, I didn't count it, but in 2 Thessalonians 2, it mentioned lawlessness or, or the lawless one as again and again and again. That word was repeated in that chapter a lot. And it also linked this lawlessness and, and the, the man of lawlessness, who's the Antichrist. So when I talk about those two terms, it's the same guy. He's got different titles. This dude is a major problem for the world. He will be one of the worst uh, people to ever be on the planet, and he's destroyed by Jesus himself. So the Antichrist is destroyed. The person of the Antichrist is destroyed by Christ himself because this guy opposes the law, opposes God's people, opposes righteousness. So lawlessness is something that Jesus warned us about in his Olivet Discourse. We call it Olivet because he preached a message about the end times to his disciples in Matthew 24 and 25, and he did it from the Mount of Olives. So the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, uh, starting in verse 12, mentions lawlessness. Jesus said this. He said, because of lawlessness and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So, saints, one of the signs of the end is lawlessness. And what lawlessness does to believers is it makes believers' love grow cold. And so let us be on guard against that. Let our love be hot. Let it, let us, uh, encourage one another, stoke one another up in these end times to serve the Lord, to be passionate about Him, to be enduring in prayer, to be persistent in the Word, and to build one another up as we see the day approaching. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 24 and following, that neighborhood there, uh, tells us that. So, the other thing that this passage here tells us about the man of lawlessness, first of all, the point I made was that he is the man of lawlessness. The second point, which is sin and all the rest, the second point is that he exalts himself above every so-called God. And it says here, Paul talking to the Thessalonians, that he seats himself in the temple. Now, there are different temples that are mentioned in the Bible. The temple is a structure, it was a structure in Jerusalem that was destroyed in 70 AD. And Paul here to the Thessalonians, I'm pretty sure he was writing before the destruction of that temple. But Paul also wrote that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that all the believers together, when we're, we're gathered together, that we are the God's temple. We each are a part of God's temple. In other words, we're all important. 
and God dwells no longer in temples made with human hands, but he dwells in the hearts of men and women who've received Christ into their life. But here it would seem that Paul is indeed talking about the Jerusalem temple, that this guy is going to enter that place and he is going to set himself up eventually to be worshipped as God. Now, this actually was also talked about by the Lord Jesus back in Matthew 24 in verse 15. Matthew 24, 15, Jesus says this, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who were in Judea flee to the mountains. And the conversation there goes on where Jesus talks about the great tribulation. Well, there's a lot of content there, but this is my basic understanding of Jesus' words and Paul's words. And most evangelicals that take the end time seriously end up believing that a third temple, in other words, the Jerusalem temple that existed in Jesus' day will be rebuilt and it will be, you know, a great cause of, of celebration to the Jewish people. And then eventually, the Antichrist is going to get his hands on that property and want to enter that property and be worshipped as God there in Jerusalem. And so there, it's a lot to think about, but I believe that's what is being referred to there. So if you see the temple go up in Jerusalem, you know that we're just one step closer. Now there's other people in the church too that say, Nah, uh, we don't need a temple to be rebuilt in order for everything to be fulfilled. I honestly, when I just take the scriptures seriously, I don't see a way that Second Thessalonians 2 and Matthew 24 and where it's repeated in the other Gospels, uh, you know, that Jesus talks about the end times in, in Luke and so forth. I don't know how you fulfill it without an actual literal temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem. But I would be open to learning about that. Um, so here's what Daniel chapter 7 has to say about this man of lawlessness. And there's other passages that I might talk about in future teachings. But here's a basic overview of this guy, this world leader, the Antichrist. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 19 through 22. 7, 19 through 22. This is what Daniel said. And Daniel is relating the kingdom that this guy rules over as the fourth beast in a series of beasts that God's shown him. So this is what God told Daniel and what Daniel says. Daniel says, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and the mouth, and spoke great things that seemed greater than its companions. So the horn is this Antichrist. He is a king who, among ten kings, gets rid of three of the ten kings to exalt himself in Daniel's uh, series of, of prophecies here. 
And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. You know what that's telling us here? It's telling us the same thing as 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This guy, this Antichrist, is going to wage war on the state of Israel. He is going to wage war on the Jewish people. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 12 for a detail of that. And he's also going to wage war against Christians. There will be Jews and Christians who are beheaded for their faithfulness to God and their opposition to the Antichrist for many reasons, for not taking the mark of the beast, for being true to God. And it says here that this horn, this Antichrist, makes war with the saints and prevailed over them. So this guy, it is going to be a desperate time in which it looks like God's purposes are, are not you know, going to win. But then the Ancient of Days comes and that's when the saints possess the kingdom. That is the return of Christ. Christ is the Ancient of Days. He is the Alpha and the Omega and he is going to deal with this Antichrist personally. Uh, let's look at Revelation chapter 13 for some more detail. Revelation chapter 13, verse 5, says this. Revelation 13, verse 5. And the beast, so over in Revelation, John is calling him the beast. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. 42 months. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling and all those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints, just like Daniel chapter 7 told us. It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So clearly, this guy is, is a persecutor of Christians, a persecutor of Jews, and he blasphemes God, blasphemes God's dwelling, and he blasphemes those who dwell in heaven. So a very bad dude. Let me look over in Revelation chapter 6. Uh, Revelation chapter 6 tells us about a person coming on a white horse. And in Revelation 6, which is early in the book of Revelation, generally, sometimes people misunderstand this to be Jesus. It's not Jesus. Jesus does come back with a white horse uh, later. He's triumphant. His, his robes are, are dipped in blood because he actually wipes out the Antichrist. He wipes out the armies that are arrayed against God's people there in Jerusalem. But in Revelation 6, it says this. John says this. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When I opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. 
and he was given a great sword. And then it goes on and it talks about the black horse, which is, let's see what it is. It's economic problems. And then the fourth horse is the pale horse, the, the greenish, nasty colored horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. So this leader who comes forward on a white horse is then followed with the red horse and the black horse and the pale horse or the green horse. And these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So anti means like a pseudo, a false Christ. So he is going to portray himself as a Messiah type figure. And one of the things that Jesus warned against in Matthew chapter 24 was to not believe in false Christs. This guy is going to be so deceptive and so sneaky by the power of Satan. In 2 Thessalonians 2, our main text, it said that false wonders and signs, activity by the power of Satan, it is going to be an unbelievable time. And did you notice that one of the uh, the big things, I don't know if I already pulled this out to you from uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, but we'll come back and we'll wrap up this idea. Uh, the end times are a time that is characterized by great deception and where people exchange truth for falsehood, where what is up is down, what is down is up, what is true is false, what is false is true. And I tell you what, I try not to speculate too much, but we look at the certain circumstances that are happening right now in the coronavirus uh, lockdown, in the civil unrest, in the uh, racial tension that's, that our nation is gripped with right now, it, business issues, the national debt, uh, laws across the nation that make no sense, and uh, all kinds of different issues that are coming out in our society. Let me give you a big one. Um, we don't hate people by any means that want to do this, but it wasn't so long ago that if you were a man and you wanted to change your body to become a woman, you were thought of and clinically diagnosed as being uh, mentally ill. And yet today... Even though, you know, we have thousands of years of human history, at least 6,000 years of recorded history, for all of human history, and in among animals today, you know, dogs, cats, cows, horses, you get male horses and female horses. There's male cats and female cats. And the only way you get a litter of kittens is with a male cat and a female cat, and so forth and so on. But just in the last few years, in the last decade, it's become acceptable not only to, for some people to have this gender dysphoria, which is a serious thing. People need to get help if they feel that way. But if you criticize that, if you say, no, you were born male, you are a male, um, and if you feel like you need to become a female, then we need to get you the mental help that you need and help them work through that. If you approach that now from a biblical perspective, in our culture, in the Western culture now, I'm the person who's crazy for 
going along with science as well as the Bible, the way God created things, male and female. So this is one big sign, and there's other things, that we are living in a time where Second Thessalonians, where we are being set up for a great delusion. Now, I don't know what that great delusion would be, but let me read the words to you again that it talks about here. It says that, The coming of the lawless one, the coming of Antichrist, which is getting sooner every day, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and be saved. Don't you love the truth? The truth sets us free. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. We are people who are people of truth as well as grace. But there are a lot of people out there who have refused to love the truth. And more than anything, as we see different things that trouble us right now in our society and in the home and among relationships, and as people are increasingly polarized about issues in America today, don't you see it in our culture where so many people have refused to love the truth and so be saved. Well, verse 11 here says, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So those are the days that we're living in. Um, The final fulfillment hasn't happened yet, but Here's a little homework. Read Romans chapter 1. I think it gives us a little more detail about truth and about how God has proclaimed himself in creation. So go ahead and read Romans chapter 1 this week. Read over that passage that I shared with you today, and we'll go ahead and close in prayer. Actually, another chapter, read Revelation 12. So read Revelation 12, Romans 1 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That would be great homework for you and me, and I'll do it too. Next week, we're going to talk more about the end times, a new subject. I'm not sure what it is yet, but I hope that you enjoyed this study of the man of lawlessness. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Savior, that you deliver us from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we bless you. And we thank you, Father, that we need not fear um, anything. The Apostle Paul, when he closed out 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he told those Thessalonians that he left them, he talked about the good hope, and he talked about encouragement and how they're grounded in the truth. And he only worked with them for just a small period of time. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for how it says in Luke chapter 21 that when we see different things falling apart in our world, we are to hold up our head high because our redemption draweth near. And so we praise you, Lord Jesus, for the future, the hope that you've put within us. And I pray for those people out there that might be watching that have maybe never made a decision for Christ. If you've never made a decision for Christ, but you want to today, you can pray a very simple prayer with me that goes something like this. And the Bible says that if you mean it with your heart, that Christ comes into your life and you're saved and you're, you're born again. It's a prayer like this that says, um, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sin and I believe that you were resurrected and I make you my Lord and my Savior 
which means that I surrender to you. I thank you. I acknowledge my sin as well as your forgiveness for my sin. And I thank you for that. So I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that prayer or another prayer of surrender like that, where you acknowledge your sin but call on the great name of our Lord and Savior, then you are joining millions and millions of believers who for 2,000 years have come into the kingdom and have had Jesus wash away their sins and have a whole new beginning. That ultimately is our preparation for the end time because nobody makes it out of this world alive. But God does promise eternal life to those who humbly surrender to his lordship. So God bless you. I pray that you pray that prayer if you haven't. And uh, we'd love to know about it too. You can email us. Email me at pastormarksites at gmail.com or uh, send us a link on our website. We'd love to know if you made that decision so we can get you a Bible, get you discipleship tools, and encourage you. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye.